This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good morning and welcome to Score Values on 670 The Score. I'm Adam Staczynski. Coming up on this week's show, we spotlight Merrillac St. Vincent Family Services' efforts to care for people who have experienced trauma. Plus, a local chef and high school teacher discusses his efforts to improve healthy eating habits for all. Merrillac St. Vincent Family Services has been using the idea of trauma-informed care to help their clients which have experienced trauma. I spoke with Hillary Waldron, licensed clinical social worker and director of senior services at Merrillac, about trauma-informed care and more. Hillary, thank you so much for being on this morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So when it comes to dealing with trauma, what services, let's start with big picture. What services does Merrillac St. Vincent provide when it comes to helping deal with trauma? Well, so we are not a a clinical agency in the truest sense, but we have been working over the last several years to become what's called trauma-informed, which means that our whole agency understands and knows about what trauma is, what the realities of it are, what behaviors might look like from people who have experienced trauma, and we're designing our programs and offering our services with that in mind. So it's a a really wide-ranging and long-term program to kind of assess each of our areas of service and the way our facilities are set up, really wide-ranging to make sure that we are offering services in a way that's mindful and um, welcoming to people who've experienced trauma. Is trauma common amongst the the people who come through Merrillac St. Vincent? Yeah, it's it's common amongst the clients we serve, but it's also just common in the general population. Um, you know, there are some statistics that show at one point the CDC surveyed adults across 25 states that 61% of adults reported that they had experienced at least one type of adverse childhood experience before age 18, and like one in six people reported that they had experienced four or more types of adverse childhood experiences. So those things connect are part of what creates trauma. And so when we see that one in six people potentially has had four or more separate types of incidents in their life that change the way their brain works, that's significant. When we talk about trauma, I know a lot of people hear the word, 
but what are some examples of trauma that maybe people have experienced that they might not even realize is, is actually trauma? Sure. So we sort of have a pop cultural understanding of trauma, right, where we think about things like maybe a really bad car accident or something like that. But when we're talking about trauma in the more social service setting, we're talking about um, things that maybe aren't as obvious, like you said. And so uh, they kind of divide them up or the concepts up into things like abuse, so physical abuse, uh, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, things like that, also neglect, but also things like maybe living in a household with a parent who struggles with mental illness, living in a household with a parent who struggles with substance use, losing a family member to suicide, having a parent who's incarcerated, like all all of these things together can contribute to trauma. And something that I, I wanted to discuss here is the idea of trauma-informed care, which I believe you were touching on, but could you define mm-hmm. for us what trauma-informed care is? Sure. So trauma-informed care is sort of a philosophical understanding of creating services with the understanding that you're serving people who've experienced trauma. So you're designing your your services in such a way that you're creating an environment where people feel safe, they feel nurtured, they feel empowered, they have options and choices. Because folks who have experienced trauma might respond differently to a situation than someone who hasn't. So when you have received trauma-informed care training, you maybe will approach a situation differently than if you were just any any person in the world. Like if, if a client comes in and they get told that we can't help them with X or Y thing, for someone who's experienced trauma, that might be a triggering event. And so from a trauma-informed care perspective, when that person reacts, and maybe they react by yelling or getting very upset about something that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, from a trauma-informed care perspective, we say, okay, maybe this is a trauma response. So we're not going to yell at this person. We're not going to tell them they have to leave. We're going to still set boundaries, but we're going to approach this a little bit differently than just treating it as an annoying behavior or disruptive behavior, right? Because if you, if you know that people who have trauma might respond to things differently, you're going to address the situation differently. You're going to approach it in perhaps a different way than if you were just like, you're not following the rules, it's time for you to go. Could you give some examples of the impact that trauma could have in somebody's life? Sure. We have evidence to show that growing up with trauma or experiencing trauma as a child especially impacts the way, it impacts our whole lives. It impacts the way our brains develop. It impacts the way our bodies grow and develop. And so it can make people hypervigilant or easily agitated. It can make it difficult to form stable relationships and trust others. It can sometimes make it difficult to do things like follow directions or stay focused. Um, There's quite a bit of evidence to show that it's connected to things like chronic illness later in life, substance use issues later in life, um, mental health issues later in life. Um, And there's even some evidence to show that it's linked to a shorter lifespan and early death. So when, whether it's yourself or someone else at at Marillac or even just outside of your organization, when you, when you discover that someone might be dealing with trauma, but what's the next step? How, how do you help them deal with that? 
Yeah, it's, I mean, trauma is complex, right? So part of it is, again, trying to avoid re-traumatizing people. So that means things like being really mindful even during the intake process. So in most social service settings, there's going to be some intake, what we would call intake or I mean, people experience this like when they go to the when you go to the doctor's office the first time. You know, you have to fill out a bunch of forms, and they ask you kind of all kinds of personal questions that sometimes maybe you don't feel comfortable answering, but you know you kind of have to. And the same thing is happens in social services where we we sort of expect people to share a lot of information with us right off the bat without having created a relationship with them. So it's being mindful of things like that and not asking people to tell their stories over and over and over again to multiple people or telling someone a really painful story the first time they've met them. Maybe it's that we wait three or four visits or appointments before we even ask about that situation. So things like that to, the, again, the way our, our spaces are designed so that people can easily navigate spaces and not get confused or lost or feel like they don't understand what the space is for or how to get places, to giving people options. Like I said, we're not a clinical organization, so we don't offer like therapy, but if we can design our early childhood classrooms to keep trauma in mind and encourage um sort of pro protective factors because trauma can't be, we can't erase trauma. We can't just like take a magic eraser and make it go away, but we can ameliorate it a little bit. We can, we can encourage protective factors that help people be stronger later in life. So it's things like, again, in early childhood, encouraging parents to learn about child development so they know what behaviors to expect out of a child and if they're seeing behaviors that they don't expect to see that maybe they get help a little bit earlier get early interventions things like that or just strong social bonds strong relationships positive creating positive environments those things can help offset trauma so that people are successful in later in life because i want to be clear that just because someone has trauma doesn't mean all these horrible things will happen to them later in life, but it does make, it can make life harder. Having a, a significant trauma background can make navigating the world a difficult thing. So if we can design services and programs that keep that in mind, sort of as a universal precaution, then when we do have folks that come in who have trauma, they can potentially be more successful than they would have been without those considerations in place. You're listening to Score Values on 670 The Score. We're speaking with Hillary Waldron, Director of Senior Services at Marillac St. Vincent's. She's also a licensed clinical social worker. Hillary, getting back to the idea of trauma-informed care, what impact have you seen this have on clients? Well, I think we've seen folks feeling safer, right? Like we want to create a, a sense of safety and trust and transparency. So people, we want people to feel like they can come to us and trust us with our stories. That means we're um, listening with respect and care and not, again, not collecting data just to collect it. We're being mindful of the challenges that they're facing and using things like person-first language and treating people with a, an extra level of respect and care and, again, creating spaces where they feel safe and calm and, and welcomed and included. And I think people, when, those, when you're in a space like that, you kind of know and feel like, okay, th I can relax. Because part of what happens when someone has experienced trauma is they often don't feel safe. 
trauma can tri- can sort of trigger our our basic senses of safety and wellness. And so, if you're feeling unsafe all the time, it can be hard to relax. And so, if we feel like our our clients and our the children that we serve and the families that we serve can relax and feel joy and happiness and all these things, then we're we're moving in the right direction. It's something else that that came to mind here is and this isn't just with trauma i think this is just kind of more wide-ranging in the idea of of overall mental health and the fact that it seems like in the last several years here as a society we're more willing to have discussions about things having to do with mental health whether it's trauma or 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 anything else and and so i i want to ask you like why it's important that we I guess kind of remove the stigma around that because there's always seems this stigma like we don't want to talk about things that are that private and that personal. And I'm curious what you think about how important it is to to have the discussions like we're having right now or that even athletes will have when saying that they're dealing with some some kind of anything in their personal life that might be affecting them. No, absolutely. I think. There's a few things like, yeah, number one, COVID has had an, an impact on everyone's mental health full stop, like without a doubt. The isolation, the unknowns, the the stress of it all, like I often tell my staff, like our bodies are not meant to maintain the level of crisis that we've had to maintain for these last two and a half years during COVID. And so lots of people are finding themselves burned out, tired, exhausted, and they don't know why. And it's because we've kind of had this covid app running in the background Mm -hmm. draining our batteries for two years so i think there's like the reality that covid has really upended a lot of stuff but i think you're exactly right i think in the case of mental health unfortunately for a, a long time it's been stigmatized and so people don't talk about it and as a result people feel like they are alone they feel like oh there's something wrong with me When in fact, most people, and I would argue that mental health is a spectrum and that everyone is on the spectrum somewhere, that we've all had good days, we've all had bad days, we've all had challenging things that we've had to deal with. And so this idea that, oh, there are people who have mental illness and there are people who aren't, if we approached it more sort of the way we talk about physical health, where like everybody needs to go to the doctor to get a checkup, right? We should all be going every year to get a checkup. And if we sort of thought about mental health the same way that like, We all need to get checkups sometimes. We all need to talk to a therapist sometimes. And that doesn't mean we've done anything wrong. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. It just means that life is challenging sometimes. And sometimes it's really nice to talk to someone who's not a friend, who's not a family member, who's just a paid listener, who's there to kind of listen to you and give you some feedback. That's like a lot of what therapy is. And I think people sort of think it's, something scary or bad or they're going to be told that they they've done something wrong or they're a bad person when in fact more than likely their therapist is going to tell them that they're great Mm -hmm. um so i think if we could just get over some of these stigmas that like oh mental health means you're crazy or that you can't do things or whatever when in fact again many 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 people have struggled with depression anxiety all kinds of different things and they have perfectly wonderful functional lives. So it doesn't mean your whole life is going to fall apart. It just means that you maybe need a little bit of extra help in that area at a certain point in your life. 
do you think that we're we're doing a better job of of destigmatizing this as a society? I think we're headed in the right direction. I think with social media, there's a lot more access to information, and I think people feel empowered to share their experiences a lot more. And I also think because of COVID, sort of everyone feels like, oh, I have a reason to feel these types of ways. So I can share with my friends and family like, oh, I'm feeling really sad. And you can sort of just say, oh, like it it gives people a reason to start having that conversation because it's been a universal experience, right? Like everyone in the entire globe has experienced the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so it's an easy starting off point. I think, um, though, there's still a lot of work to be done and there's still we still need a lot of services like in our communities. There's still a lot, again, a lot of stigma. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of silence. There's a lot of isolation. And honestly, it's also like not that affordable to get mental health care. (laughs) You know, like if you're trying to go through your insurance, it can be challenging. And so I think we have some roadblocks that we need to keep working on to have like community based mental health services in communities so that people can get the services that they want in their own community rather than having to go somewhere far away or having to find a therapist who lives in another state and talking to them over the phone because there's not a therapist in their area who takes new patients, right? Because there's mm-hmm. a, you know, a shortage of therapists. Well, Hillary, I, I really appreciate this conversation. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to add before we wrap up here? Yeah, just that like um, trauma-informed care is a really important aspect of social services and we're really trying to figure out better ways to offer things to people so that we can really have people stay engaged and feel like they're getting the services that they need so that they can grow and flourish but that it's a it's a long-term project for sure that was hillary waldron licensed clinical social worker and also director of senior services at marillac st vincent family services you're listening to score values on 670 the score Up next, I spoke with Chef David Fuller. He's founder of Eating to Live. He's also a culinary arts and hospitality teacher at Chicago Vocational High School. Tell us about Eating to Live. What is it? How did you start it? And and what is your goal with it? Well, Eating to Live, primarily we're uh, health-conscious, prepared food manufacturers, uh, started up in 2012 in September, uh, but we also uh, have other platforms where we uh, have a mission of um, career and technical education. Of course, I'm a culinary educator in high school, but also we specialize in virtual and in-person uh, after school and summer programming for elementary school students, uh, encouraging them to uh, eat better, um, to extend their lives and, and, and change their diets and, and, and behaviors. Why is it important to put those ideas of eating healthy in, uh, to, to instill those ideas in, in, in children at an early age? Because once they, you get older to adult age and your your late teens and early 20s, your habits become calcified and it's much harder to correct. And then when you become an adult and you start running into health challenges, 
it becomes a big problem. So we, we found over time that starting at an early age, elementary, uh, as early as kindergarten and first grade, uh, fruit and vegetable introductions to make sure uh, that the young people uh, know what fresh fruits and vegetables are like and they don't get to be teenagers like, I don't eat this, I don't eat that, then that's, uh, that's going to be a problem later on. And so, and preventative uh, health care is, is what we're looking for by uh, targeting this earlier age group. So, how big has this become for you throughout the Chicagoland area? It is trending, especially uh, after the pandemic. I started doing um, after school programming and 2011, actually, uh, starting off with uh, summer camps and um, spring break camps. And post-pandemic, which you see that, of course, people uh, had the opportunity to cook more than they ever cooked before, but they were isolated uh, from people. And, of course, there are all different types of supply chain shortages in the uh, grocery and, and in the restaurant industries. And so uh, also with uh, COVID-19 and the pre-described health conditions, especially in African-American community that you were exposed to, uh, people are paying more attention to health and wellness now. And so it's on trend to start with the young people to uh, prevent what uh, you know transpired during COVID-19. I want to ask you a little bit about about yourself here. So, how did you become interested in cooking? Well, I uh, my fam- both my mother and father's side of the family are from uh, the Bayou in Mississippi and Louisiana. And as I was a little boy, I just loved uh, traveling during Christmas break and summer vacations, going to see my relatives in the South, and I always tended to hang around the kitchen. I played outside, but I always liked to hang around the kitchen. And uh, so just like uh, organically, I just had a passion for good food uh, from the South. And then, um, you know, growing up, I always used to like going to the grocery store with my mom. And one of my favorite things to do besides playing outside was to watch uh, WTTW food cooking shows like Julia Child and and Justin Wilson and Yan Can Cook. This is before the Food Network. And that was really the beginning of of just how I liked and enjoyed food is uh, with those shows. What made you interested in healthy foods then? Well, when I was uh, in college with the Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, uh, I didn't eat bad growing up, but uh, we had a famous uh, restaurant uh, not too far from campus. It was called Mom Mary's, and they were famous for these uh, soul plates. And uh, I got a book from a classmate of How to Eat to Live, and it kind of changed my uh, mindset. Hmm. Uh, And so when I came back from my first semester of college and came back home, and I told my mother I was – no pork. She was very surprised. So that was really the beginning. But learning, you know, um, what to put into your body, the correct times to eat, really was an eye opener. So it was a 
a process. It wasn't as restrictive as we see some diets and or, or if you say you're going to be a vegan or a vegetarian. So I try to stay in a health conscious space. And so that's really the undergirding of eating to live. It's not absolute. It's changing over time. So awareness first and then putting that into practice within your diet. So when we talk about eating to live, what are some of the, the key foods that you you try to introduce to people that participate? You know, just when we, most grocery stores, when you come in, it's the produce section and the, and the fruit section. And it's just about uh, starting off with young people and, um, you know, teenagers and middle age that I come in contact with, you know, having more fruits and vegetables to your diet and less um, uh, plates that have so much starch and carbohydrates and, of course, proteins. And um, that's easier said than done. So it really is, you know, as a high school instructor, you come across young people and, you know, you have a, a fresh salad and they're like, I don't eat salad. Why don't you eat salad? Well, I don't know. You know, it comes into play that they haven't tasted salad. So that all goes with, you know, the diet in the homes and and what we're introducing to our children. So we just start off with simple old plain fruits and vegetables. That's the beginning and that's the core. I'm curious because, you know, when I think about even just myself when I was younger, how stubborn I was about what I would eat and how how reluctant a lot of children are to try new foods. So how do you go about, I guess, for lack of a better word, convincing them to try new things like this? Well, you know, a couple of different ways. Um, Taking things that they're familiar to, changing the cooking methods. Um, Say, for instance, okay, you got your classic stovetop macaroni and cheese. Uh, One of the ways that we impart vegetables in that is to put some braised greens into the macaroni and cheese. So you'll have a, a kale macaroni and cheese or a collard green macaroni and cheese or even a spinach macaroni and cheese. And that's from the same vein that, you know, some young people swear that they cannot eat broccoli unless they have cheese sauce. So we debunk that. We, we show that how do you steam broccoli, how easy it is to prepare the broccoli, how we can have and enjoy the flavor of broccoli without cheese sauce or a whole bunch of butter or sodium. So it really gets down to the basic or asparagus. What does the asparagus taste like before we season it? And try to season foods with as less Uh, sodium as possible. We're speaking with Chef David Fuller. He's founder of Eating to Live, and you're listening to Score Values on 670 The Score. Now, David, this brings us to what's happening this weekend at McCormick Place in the National Restaurant Show, which you are going to be at. So, tell us about what's happening for yourself at the National Restaurant Show this weekend. Well, we are pleased to be first-time exhibitors at the National Restaurant Show, the absolute, the the, uh, biggest uh, stage in our industry. Um, we will be premiering for the, uh, the industry our line of braised greens, which is called the World's Greatest Greens. We're located in the Lakeside Center 
uh, booth number 10734. And uh, we're very excited to be on the, the large stage and to be able to have an opportunity to scale our business. What do you hope this does for you? We hope to get plenty of new customers to put Eaton to Live on a trajectory to... <clears throat> uh, we are currently regional suppliers, so... Uh, Based upon the success of the show, we look to have uh, uh, gain distribution in multiple regions and become national uh, suppliers as a manufacturer. And you mentioned that you, you do distribute regionally, and I, I know that you just got your products into Jewel Osco stores. So how did that, that, how did that happen? Well, we started off with really our braids, greens, our food service product, but we started off in 2016, uh, had an opportunity to get into Whole Foods on their uh, hot food prepared bars. Mm -hmm. uh, 2017, uh, we were in uh, Mariano's. Our Whole Foods opportunity was in the Midwest region in eight states. Um, Mariano's in Illinois and and also Wisconsin, the business shifted uh, right before the pandemic, and we were able to engage uh, Joe Osco uh, in uh, mid-2018, uh, and we were able to hit uh, Joe Osco stores. We started off with 30 stores in uh, February of 2019, and during the pandemic, uh, when grocery stores became so popular, uh, we were able to uh, increase uh, our presence in Jewel Osco. And now currently we are in 85 Jewel Osco stores in Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana. And our braised collard greens and kale is uh, sold in their deli case and also their grab-and-go ready-to-eat section in their signature deli. And uh, uh, one last thing I do want to touch on here, because I know you have a, a message about chronic ailments being due to poor eating habits and how you can improve on some of those. So can you talk about that a little bit, just like some of the ailments that can come about due to poor eating habits and how eating yeah. healthier can improve your, improve your health? Yeah, you know, too often we are reactionary um, as far as diet, you know, diabetes, uh, heart disease, high blood pressure. So the, the myth is that we pass these chronic diseases down uh, through our DNA. It runs in our family. Rather, the truth is that we are passing down poor eating habits. So we need, that's why my uh, mission is to change the behavior of, of saying we don't have to wait until we're in our uh, middle age, 40s, 50s, and 60s uh, to be bogged down with a cocktail of pills because we absolutely do, do have control of what uh, we put in our bodies. And most chronic illnesses relate back to diet. That was Chef David Fuller, founder of Eating to Live. That's it for this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about on a future edition of the show, or if you'd like to share information about an upcoming charitable event, send us an email at scorevalues670 at gmail.com. I'm Adam Staczynski. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Score Values on 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 